we are continuing this morning in in this series called Learning to See. Our, Our hope is that we are little by little learning to see the transfiguring light of Christ in the world around us, uh, in our own lives, and in the lives of those to whom God has called us to relate. Um, This is all kind of taken from that passage in the scripture, which uh, speaks of Christ's transfiguration. He takes Peter, James, and John out of the world, leads them up the mountain. Jesus is then revealed in all the glory of God, which has roots in the Old Testament. Uh, And we see Christ shining with light. His clothes are radiant with light. Moses and Elijah are with him. The disciples want to stay. It is a sight so beautiful and glorious. But Jesus doesn't let them stay. He, he sends them, leads them back down the mountain and into the world where they are now moving with their faces set towards, well, Jerusalem and the cross. So the message is that this is Christ in all the fullness of his divine life revealed to them. Um, This light also fills the world and they're called to come down off of this mountaintop experience with eyes that can now see a little bit more the light of Christ in other places and even in that most surprising place that is, well, the place of suffering, the place of the cross where the glory of God is revealed perhaps in an even more remarkable way. So this is the goal for us. We're hoping to learn to see better. We've talked about holy places. We've talked about holy things. And we've talked about holy people. This is all patterned after that section in Exodus that we've been reading when God commands the Israelites on how to construct the tabernacle, which is holy space, how to uh, fill that space with particular and holy things, altars, uh, lights, Uh, bread even, a number of different objects find their way, tapestries, uh, images of uh, the angels, the cherubim, an ark of the covenant, and so on. Uh, So all these objects fill the holy place, so holy things, and then holy people. Uh, The the, uh, Levites basically become the priests, and they are clothed in a particular fashion, and they are set apart for a particular work to offer the people and sacrifice to God uh, and to provide the means by which God has promised to commune with them in that that place. So holy places, holy things, and holy people, all of these training us, showing us how to begin to see more clearly God's light in the rest of the world around us, God's kingdom breaking in upon us, Um, the the moment-by-moment life that we live, not just the mountaintop experience or the tabernacle experience, but also all the moments in between. Last week we shifted a little bit and we began to talk not of holy places, things, and people, but of ritual, particular habits and patterns that shape the the people there. Um, We're going to stick with that just a little bit. Uh, But last week we talked about making the sign of the cross. Yes, and so we're going to come back to that uh, theme and to that action in just a moment. Um, But first, I'd like to share just a little bit about uh, ritual. I'd like to give you um, a bit more of um, maybe sort of a simple example, a couple examples of ritual, but then maybe talk about the symbolic aspect to ritual that is maybe goes a little deeper. Uh, And then we'll come then to the to the sign of the cross. so let's, let's begin with a couple examples because I, ho- I hope you've be- 
if nothing else, I want you to see that most of your life unfolds in the shape of a ritual, uh, unfolds in the shape of particular habits that constitute your day. There's, there's absolutely no way that you can escape habits or patterns or rituals in your lives. Uh, and so the question isn't, if you're going to perform a ritual on a daily basis, it's like, what are the best rituals you can choose to perform? Because they're shaping you and your expectations for the day, and certainly they're setting before you a goal that you are aiming at. And so I'll give just a couple examples of ritual as they've unfolded in my life. Um, I think back to high school, and I was, I was uh, on the basketball team. We had some really good basketball teams at West Caldwell. Good program, good coach, good players. Um, we won a lot of games and didn't lose very many, and it was a lot of fun. And so uh, here's a ritual that we used to enact, that we used to perform. Uh, after the girls' game was over, uh, Leslie, that should tell you a little bit about my history, but Leslie would make her way off the court and go off somewhere, and then the boys' team would come onto the court, and we'd circle up kind of just inside the door, sort of in the corner of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the court there. And we would form a circle, and we'd link arms around shoulders and arms around shoulders in the circle. And then we would, you know, we, I mean, we're 16 to 18 year old boys here. And we thought we were being really intimidating, I guess. But then we would, we'd all form this circle and link arms and, and somebody would say, what time is it? What's the response? Game time. Yeah, that's right. So what time is it? Just in case anybody wasn't clear, game time. <clears throat> Last time. What time is it? Game time. Ooh. Then we bark, you know. <clears throat> here, you know, here we are thinking we're I, I was reimagining that what this scene looked like, and I was like, you know, I don't think we we're quite as intimidating as we had hoped to be. But then after we <clears throat> said game time, ooh, we bend down and we we'd slap the floor. And then we go about some other routines and rituals that we had before the game started, but um, layups and jump shots and show, so on. But this was, the, this was the way we started the game, started our entrance onto the court. And I want you to notice um, a lot of this wasn't arbitrary. I, nobody, like, thought about it. We were probably just copying someone else, which is how most of your rituals have, have become embodied in your life, too. But notice what we did. Uh, this team got in a circle, which means that we were facing each other, which means that we turned our backs to everything else. And so immediately we set forth an inner group and an outer group. And we said, if we're going to play this game, these are the people who we have to depend on. Here's the people that we're going to play for. Here's the people that we've practiced with and that we're committed to and are committed to us. And if we're going to do anything today, if we're going to win, it's going to be dependent upon the people in this circle. And so we looked at each other face to face. Uh, there was a setting apart of space there, wasn't there? Talk about holy space. Everything unfolds in similar ways. But, but we turned and we created a space and we populated that space with our team. Now, we also designated time. And yes, something of a silly way. But we said, what time is it? It's, it's game time. It's right now. Like We are showing up here and now to play. And, of course, we had the slap on the floor. One of the things we thought we did really well was play defense. And we, we paid a lot of attention to that. And so, in our own way, we were claiming 
the court. We're saying this space right here, uh, whatever happens on it today, we want to dictate. Like, this is going to be our area. And so there is the ritual that our basketball team used to enact before the game. Uh, maybe some of John's teams do similar things. Um, I don't know. But uh, I do want to point out another ritual that happens on Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, as you guys are making your way in and finding your seats, um, I don't know if you've ever noticed the choir just outside the sanctuary. Uh, at a particular point, just before the service begins, guess what they do? They pray. They, they, they link hands. They hold hands. They form, it's not really a circle, it's this long oval shape <laughs> in the hallway. And, and I step in and I say, Choir, what time is it? Game time is what they, what they say. Choir, what time is it? Game time. Ooh. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. And then they slap the floor back there. That's right. Marie has a really mean bark if you hadn't heard it. No, but, but we do. We, 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 we set aside this time, this space, this choir. We pray for all of you, actually, as you're coming in. Uh, all the folks that God has, God has gathered today, we, we lift up the choir that the worship we offer would be pleasing to God, would honor God, would be uh, effective in, in leading others into worship and so on. So, so you see how we inevitably, we didn't set out to do a ritual, but, but before you start things, rituals tend to happen, right? That's just how we are as human beings. Um, now, uh, I want to designate just for a second a difference between, um, and this is maybe a little bit, I don't know, it may be, it's, it's hard for me to understand. I don't know, maybe it'd be hard for me to communicate. But there's a difference between signs and symbols. And this, this has uh, importance for making the sign of the cross, per se, because we call it a sign of the cross. But it's really more of a symbol. So uh, a sign, point, and a symbol both point beyond themselves to something else. Think of a stop sign. The, the sign doesn't actually stop you. It's the meaning behind the sign. It's the meaning the sign points you toward that you need to slow down and bring your forward motion to a stop. Signs can be swapped in and out. doesn't matter which red stop sign with the letter stop is at the intersection. You could change intersections. They mean the same thing. The sign results in the same thing. It points you to the same reality. But a symbol participates in a reality, the same reality to which it points. There's a greater connectivity between a symbol and the reality it's pointing you towards than just signing it. For example, um, you know, there's a flag right there. Right? There's an American flag. It, it is actually a symbol. The flag's a symbol. It's not just a sign. Um, a symbol participates in the reality to which it points. That particular flag connects us, connects you, to the United States of America as it's constituted as a nation. You can't just swap out a different, uh, different flag. You can't substitute Mexico's flag or, um, I don't know, the Brazilian flag. It, it has to be the American flag. But it also grants you a level of participation in it. I want you to think about how most of your childhood was spent if you went to a public school. You go in in the morning, you find your seat, the bell rings, you stand up, and you do what? 
No, 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 no. Uh-uh. You, you, you perform a ritual. You see how that works? Yeah. You stand up and you perform a ritual with your body. You place your hand over your heart and then you pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Now, if you could extrapolate that, not just from your own personal experience of being shaped by a ritual, maybe if you didn't even realize it was happening, I want you to take a bird's eye view of the United States and look in all the school buildings and all the different places at all the children who are simultaneously standing and enacting this ritual and you can see just a little bit how that flag participates in the power and the unity and gathers people in unity around it of the United States of America. You see how that's beginning to shape things at a higher level of existence, not just your personal life, but as you come together with other groups of people. You see how that happens? So signs and symbols are different. And I want to note that as we think about yeah, basketball rituals or the choir rituals, but also you've been shaped by rituals in ways you may haven't actually recognized or noticed yet in your life. So let's look at the ritual that is prescribed in our scripture reading this morning. It's a long way to getting around to it, but here it is. Exodus 29. Same passage as last week, but a shorter section. Uh, Exodus 29, verses 38 through 43. Listen carefully and listen well. This too is the word of the Lord. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year, uh, two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth sea of fine flour mingled with a quarter of a hen of beaten oil and a quarter of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. So here's a ritual that pertains not to forming a nation, but forming a people for God. They get up in the morning and a sacrifice is offered, a ritual is enacted. Uh, they come together, the, the, the priest goes about the work. Uh, I want you to remember that a sacrifice isn't just about death, isn't even primarily about death. That's how we, I said this last week, but I bet that still brings up that sense of sacrifice for you, that this is about killing and death, when actually if you read it, what were they doing? They were preparing a meal. It was a lamb. There was a grain offering, there was oil mixed with it, and there was a drink. They were setting the table for the Lord and offering in the morning a sacrifice. In the scripture, sacrifice connects with um, uh, three different things. Primarily, uh, sacrifices are gifts offered to God. They are also a sign of hospitality. As you would welcome a guest, you prepare a meal. And also when you share that meal together, it is a form of communion, of coming together. It's just like inviting someone to your house. You offer them a gift. You offer them hospitality. And you share a meal together. And relationship grows over time. It's a ritual that affects things and affects you and another person. Same thing here. What we see is that in the morning, 
in the tabernacle, the priest was to offer this ritual, offer this morning sacrifice. It began the day. In the evening, same sacrifice, slightly differently, uh, was offered to frame, the, well, for us, the close of the day, for them, the beginning of the next day. Either way, the day is framed by a morning and an evening sacrifice. What happened in the tabernacle was also reflected, because everybody couldn't be, and eventually the temple, in Jerusalem all at the same time, every day. Couldn't do that. You were in your own home. And so what the, the sacrifice that was being offered, let's say, in the temple, was also over time reflected in the personal lives of people where they lived in their towns and villages throughout Israel. And we see that especially in the Psalms. So I want you to listen to this psalm right here. Psalm 5. Just a, just a line. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. A morning psalm. There are many psalms in, in the book of Psalms that are prayed specifically in the morning. But here's another set in the evening. Psalm 141. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. What evening sacrifice? Well, the one we just read about, the one that was prescribed by God every morning and every evening offered up to the Lord. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Um, do you see how the sacrifice offered at the temple, the center is also reflected in the space that extends beyond that, into the lives of people in their homes, in their lives. Morning and evening, evening and morning, sacrifices were offered up. Um, again, just as our basketball team said, what time is it? And we said it's game time. That provided sort of a, a, a marking of time in a particular way that something is starting right now. Rituals do this. They designate space and time. Well, the time being designated here is a day. Morning and evening. Evening and morning. A day, there's a framework of prayer and sacrifice that establishes the day. There's a writer that I like named Annie Dillard, and she says that the way you spend your days is the way you spend your life. If you take long enough to think about it, like that's fairly profound. The way that you spend your days is the way that you spend your life. Now, she also says that rituals or habits are ways of kind of getting your hands around time just a little bit. Which is a pretty vivid expression um, because I don't know about you, maybe some of you also feel like sometimes time keeps slipping away. There's a song about that, isn't there? <laughs> Keeps on slipping, slipping. Yeah, do you ever feel like you can't quite get a hold of time? Sometimes we're maybe painfully reminded of this. We were at the, we were at the beach a couple weeks ago. Uh, Spencer's too. She had a blast. She's a little redheaded kid running around on the beach, which reminded me of another little redheaded kid named Lily, who five whole years ago was the same size as Spencer. It seems crazy to think about. What has happened... I mean, that time just slipped right away, right? Um, John, being one of the basketball coaches, has been kind enough when he has the keys to the gym 
uh, to let me come play on occasion. And uh, I'll tell you another way that you can mark time. Well, it's to show up with a bunch of guys that are younger than you and, uh, and go up for that rebound that you used to get no problem and throw your hands up in the air like the evening sacrifice and realize that you tried to jump, but your feet are still on the ground. <laughs> there was no jump that actually happened. It was just a reached up in the air, right? Um, sometimes we're reminded that our bodies are a little older than they used to be. Anybody else can relate to any, any of those things? Time keeps on slipping, right? Right? Yeah. How can you begin to get a hold of time? And Andy Dillard says ritual is a way to do it. Habits are a way to do it. A morning and evening sacrifice prescribed by God is a way to do it. A habit or a ritual like this frames time in a way that you could compare to a trellis. You know, like grapes growing? Um, the habits that we have provide a framework for our day, for our lives. How you spend a day is how you spend your life. If grapes are just left on the ground, they rot. But if they climb up the trellis, this framework that's been established for them, well, they produce a whole lot of fruit. These prayers that we can perhaps begin to offer in the morning and in the evening provide a trellis for your life, a framework that can help hold your day together. Um, because I want you to imagine just for a second that you have come to the end of your life. And someone says to you, what have you done with your life? I want to let that question linger for a minute. You come to the end of your life and someone says, what have you done with your life? Wouldn't it be great if you could say, I offered it to the Lord as a, as a sacrifice, as a gift, as an expression of hospitality that I desired the Lord to, to come and to share my days with me and that you've communed with Him in that way, that you've offered and lived that sacrifice. Here's a way that maybe we can begin to do it. I'm going to invite you to make, when you wake up in the morning, make the sign of the cross. When you wake up, first thing, before you get up, sit up, roll over anything, wherever you are, right there, make the sign of the cross. It's a ritual. It's a way of offering yourself up to the Lord. It's a morning prayer embodied. And then at the close of day, when you go to sleep, after you've turned the light off, quieted your mind, right before you go off to sleep, make the sign of the cross again as that evening sacrifice. Let's remember just for a second the meaning behind it. Three fingers together. We can practice this again if you'd like. A thumb, pointer, and middle finger. Held together represent the Trinity. Your ring finger and your pinky finger extend down to your palm, uh, representing the dual natures of Jesus, that Jesus is both fully God and fully human, fully man. If you turn your hand to the side, there's an open space here, and looking through it, you can see the two fingers that represent the life of Christ and His being in person. And, and so this can represent the womb of Mary, because Christ became incarnate for our sake. So here's the incarnation. 
Here's a symbol of, of Mary, a woman. Here's Jesus, who is man. Here's man and woman together with the Trinity, joined to the life of God by virtue of the incarnation. Here's our faith. One hand, right there. Then you can make the sign of the cross from your forehead down to your stomach, to your right shoulder, and to your left. Um, this is a way of marking your life with the sign of the cross. Christ has sacrificed his life for us, and so Christ's life becomes the gift that is offered, the, the hospitality, the openness to God's presence for us and the place of communion. Uh, for the Christian, the cross isn't, again, we get caught up with suffering and sacrifice and death. For the Christian now, the cross is the symbol of victory. It's the symbol of now communion with God that everything that stood in our way has now been laid aside, that Christ has made the way open. And so in Him, and by virtue of His cross, we are now open, our lives are open for participation with God. Uh, as we make that sign, we also confess that as Jesus' disciples, we want to take up our cross and follow Him. That we want to be learners of His life um, in our own. Those strivings, our decision to do that with Jesus, for Jesus, is not just uh, something we do under our own strength, but is marked out by the life of Jesus and sealed upon the life of Jesus himself. So Jesus, right, this is, uh, we can raise our hand to our head. This is like heaven. This is like um, uh, Christ's eternal begottenness of the Father. But then Jesus comes down from heaven to earth and is incarnate here. In space is like a, a womb, uh, eventually. After the cross is a tomb, Jesus has come down and, and lived for us what we could not live for ourselves, even to the point of death, and he dies. Lives out fully this life of incarnation. But then he's raised up again in resurrection to the right hand of God in power, and he promises to come again. Also, the final layer, it's a way of offering up our mind, our soul, our strength, and our heart to God uh, as those who love him. So all, remember, all of that is contained in there. And what I want you to consider doing, you don't have to do this. You can do this in a different way if you're uncomfortable with that. Um, although I do want to re remind you of the point once more that th this isn't a Roman Catholic thing uh, or, or just an Eastern Orthodox thing. It's a Christian thing. Uh, since the, about the year 200, there's recordings of making the sign of the cross. Uh, and so presumably it was happening before that. In addition to that, um, we can see that in about the 17, 17th, 17th century, um, when the Anglican Church was writing the Book of Common Prayer, they made the sign of the cross optional up to each person rather than enforced or required. And so too did the Reformed folks with Westminster uh, make this, uh, uh, you know, just up to, up to the choice of the person, which eventually just means it fell out of practice. Um, also, I want you to know that Martin Luther, you know, does anybody know that name? The guy who basically jump-started the whole Reformation project, uh, whether that's what he was trying to do or not. Um, do you know what he said you should do every morning when you wake up? This is Martin Luther, remember. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing you should do is make the sign of the cross and say the name of the Trinity. It's not a Catholic thing. It's not an Orthodox thing. It's not, not a Presbyterian thing. It's just a Christian thing. It's a physical prayer, a ritual that you can enact uh, to offer the day to the Lord and then to offer all that has come throughout the day to him again.
So I want to, I, I'm, I actually want to have conversations with you about what this experience is like. So I, I do really hope that, I know, anybody willing to try that next week uh, to make the sign of the cross when you wake up, first thing when you open your eyes, say in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The morning sacrifice. Uh, in the evening, right before you go to bed, do the same thing. In the name of the Father and Son Holy Spirit, surrendering all that came in the day to Him. Let's give it a shot uh, because, you know, the rituals you perform in a day are going to shape you. Just means that we need to choose good ones. And I think that is a pretty good one. Let's give it a shot. Uh, let's try to offer ourselves in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.